The Word of God is truth. Repeat after me, Lord, my heart's open. I'm willing and I'm able to follow you. In Jesus' name. Why don't you be seated? Give somebody a high five next to them. This morning, I want to encourage you, there's plenty of fish in the sea. See? You just had to come to church to hear something your mother probably told you a hundred times in high school. There's plenty of fish in the sea. That's the word this morning, and we'll, we'll kind of explore that today a little bit. But Pastor uh, Lori on Wednesday night shared a great message, if any of you are here, Awaken the Hope Within. How many of you know as human beings, we need encouragement, Right? I mean, you, you know, the mountaintops don't last every single day. You, you just need to be encouraged. That's part of coming to church, part of the importance of being the body of Christ is just you literally showing up and being here and praising God is a testimony to people, and it brings encouragement. And we remember that, hey, we're all in this thing together, and uh, God's doing great things. And you may have had a rough week, but I'm telling you what, God's going to help you have a better week, and he's going to send the right people in your life to encourage you and keep you on track with the word. And so this morning, I want to just to encourage you with this word today, and I hope you walk out with some of the same encouragement you had on Wednesday night when, when Lori encouraged us to awaken the hope within and dare to believe God. And that's to believe that there's plenty of fish in the sea. Now, in high school, that meant one thing to me. Plenty of fish in the sea meant I just got dumped, and mom was telling me, hey, don't worry, there's plenty of fish. Anybody ever get that one before? I'm certainly not the only guy that ever got dumped here, am I? I mean, come on, that's embarrassing. I had a girlfriend in high school, and she was great. I really, you know, really loved her. And, um, and, and when the, then I did what so many people do. I went to college, and a, and a high school relationship became a long-distance relationship. And how many of you know how well those work? And, um, and so things didn't work out. And, and, and I find sometimes some of the greatest heartache that we go through are things that we try to manufacture in our own strength. And we do it for good reason. I mean, we, we, we're smart. We know what we like. We know what we think we're good at. We know what we think we ought to be able to expect to happen in life. And so we just kind of construct these life plans and these things. And then when they fall apart, it's just like, it's not only a drag, it's like personal. It's almost like an attack. Like what we came up with just wasn't good enough and wasn't possible. And so, I, and so as I was preparing for this message, uh, I really, I, f- I heard that phrase before I even knew what it meant. I just heard the Lord telling me there's plenty of fish in the sea. And so that kind of began the journey of what, of what we were going to bring to the table today. And I believe that we need encouragement. I believe some of you here today have been disappointed and frustrated with the direction that life has turned. Uh, you may have had great days before, and now you're trying to figure out where they went. And maybe some of you feel like there hasn't been any great days in even recent memory. But I'm telling you what, there's plenty of fish in the sea. And, that, and, I, and you're going to understand what that means when you walk out of here today. Could you open your Bible to uh, Luke 5 today? We're going to spend the bulk of our time in Luke chapter 5 in the first 11 verses and a story about fishing, which is where we get our plenty of fish in the sea. Are you guys there? Say amen if you've got it. I guess it's on the screen, so you can just say amen as soon as they pop it up on the screen. But uh, I love this story, and uh, this is where God really sent me to immediately when I was trying to flesh out what it meant when God says there's plenty of fish in the sea, and he sent me to this place in Luke 5. and let me, Let's just start reading it. We'll talk a little bit about it. Verse 1 says this, So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. And yes, I did look that up online so I could pronounce it right. And he saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. I love the fact that I get to work here. I love the fact that I get to come along 
Pastor Bill and Pam, and, and now Pastor John Elizabeth's vision of love, acceptance, forgiveness. It's God's vision, but they're the ones running it and spearheading it. And I, I've been here since 2000, uh, came to this church in 97, just as a grad student at Purdue, coming and being a part of the worship team. And then in 2000, God opened the door to work here. I've had a blast. I love it. But I'll tell you what, there's, you're not immune to like stuff happening to you just because you work in the church. And, uh, and, and I'm not even talking about hard times or anything we've gone to. One of the things that's hardest for me is to have a front seat at what God does in someone's life and then follow up with them a month later and find out that they're on the sidelines or they're not believing God anymore. Jesus came on the scene and there were two boats that should have had men fishing in them and they were empty. And uh, he says, I think so many times that, I think you know two people like this who, who, who started off, you know, they got saved, they got their boat, they got their fishing pole, they got their nets. They started to fish. They were excited. They were here in every services. They were jumping. They were hollering. And then all of a sudden, you didn't see them as often, maybe just once a month. And then next thing you know, you'd run into them and you'd say, hey, uh, did you get a new church? And like, no, I got a victory. I'm like, well, I haven't seen you in a couple months. No condemnation. You know, well, seriously, if you see me in public, please don't justify your church attendance. I don't keep records and I don't care. I just want you to be blessed and, and I'm just glad you're part of a church. People always do that. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry, but I'll be back. I promise. I'm not taking attendance, don't worry. And, uh, <laughs> and so you'll see people and you'll say, hey, you know, what's going on? I, mean, I missed you, man. You're part of the family. It's like, it's like not showing up to Thanksgiving. Where you been, man? They'll say, oh, I'm just going through some stuff, you know, but I'm still part of the church. I'm still serving God, but, you know, I just, I got some stuff going on. And when I get through it, you know, when I work it out, then I'll be back in church. As if, you know, as if their motive is that you have to somehow get your life together before you come to the place where you get your life together. And it doesn't make sense, right? And so Jesus comes on the scene, and here, like so many believers, are two men who have been fishing all night long, and they've caught nothing. And no doubt, they're frustrated. No, I mean, who would want to do that, right? And, you know, I watch that show, Deadliest Catch, sometimes. Any Deadliest Catch uh, people? Yeah, it's okay. You can admit it. It's okay. I'm not saying it's for you. I'm not saying it's, you know, everything's great about the show. I'm just, I'm just saying that I enjoy watching those guys do their thing. And, uh, and, and many times there'll be a familiar plot that's going on. And the plot will be like you'll have two different captains in two different boats. And one captain, you know, the big thing is can you find the crab, right? In, this, in the Bering Sea, can you get to the place where you're going to find the most crab and make the most money? And so you'll have one guy who says, man, I'm going to try out a location this time, and this is a place where my dad used to always fish, or this is a place where, you know, seven years ago I just hit a gold mine, and so I'm going to go back. I think it's time to come back, and we're going to try it out. And they're basically going on a hunch, right? And then you'll have that contrasted to, uh, you know, the other guy who's got, like, GPS and sonar and all these things, and he's got a computer screen. And seriously, I, you know, I don't even know if it's considered fishing anymore at that point. But... It, <laughs> And they can see right there, you know, where stuff is, right? And then you'll see that guy, he just nails it. And the other guy's kind of left pulling up empty pots going, man, I, it was supposed to be here. You know, I don't know what's going on. And how many of you want to be the guy just on a hunch? How many of you like to be the guy with the inside knowledge? And, uh, and that's basically what happens in this story is the disciples get some inside knowledge about where to catch fish. But really, it's not what the story's about, believe it or not. But we will talk about that. You, get, you still have it open to Luke 5? So Jesus, he, stu- he stood by this lake. He saw two boats standing by the lake, and the fishermen had gone from them, and they were washing their nets. And so in verse 3, Jesus gets into the boat. And I think there's so many parallels you and I can draw on this, but Jesus gets in the boat. He says, okay, 
time for a little teaching here. It's time for a little lesson, you know, object lesson to try to turn this situation around for good. He gets into the boat and he teaches the multitudes that are, he has Peter, cast me out a little bit, give me a little space here from the shore. And he begins to teach people. I don't know what he teaches them, um, but he teaches them. And then at the end of the teaching, he gives Peter an instruction. And before we talk about what that instruction was, one of the, thing, the, one of the frustrations too of, of watching people not like give up just short, you know, the people who are fishing all night long, believing, standing on a promise, and then it just doesn't happen the way they thought it's going to happen. And so they just kind of stop and they're like on the shore and they're, they're still identify as a fisherman or identify as a believer because, you know, they're cleaning the nets, but really what they are is they're frustrated and they're giving up. And that's, and that's a hard thing to watch in people. And you always want to try to encourage people to get back up. But what happens is many times people are in that situation, not just because it's been hard and they haven't seen the promise come to, but what's happened many times, and I can speak as one of them, you get tons of teaching. You go to a great church like Victory Christian Center and you just get the word and you get the word and you go to mentoring and you take VBI correspondence and, and you're, you're sharing and you're in a care group and you're just amassing knowledge and you're listening to podcasts, you're reading blogs, you're watching you know, teachers on TV but there's always a moment then where God will instruct you. See, first there was a teaching and then there was an instruction. And Peter had the opportunity on the heels of great teaching, I'm sure, had the opportunity to heed an instruction from Jesus. And that's where we go back to our story here. When he, in verse four, when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon Peter, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. This is where things begin to happen in a believer's life. I know, I know believers who have lots of doctrine, they have lots of teaching, but they haven't heeded the instruction that God has given them. The instruction is like the catalyst that makes being a Christian fun because it's what demands God. It's what draws out the blessing. It's what draws out the abundance. So he says to Peter, launch out into the deep. Don't just, just, just right here, go out into the deep, take a risk, be willing to be frustrated again, give, be willing to give it one more shot. And Simon says to him, Master, we have toiled all night, but we have caught nothing. Have you run into people like that before? Hey, bro, God wants to heal your body. Yeah, well, I've been believing that for 20 years. I talked to a guy this week, uh, a good friend of mine, 14 years, been believing to walk, 14 years in a wheelchair. And, uh, you know, I was just encouraging him, and he is encouraged, and he's standing on the word. He even sent me a picture of him standing up. He got a wheelchair that props him fully standing, belts him in, and he can stand and get used to the blood flowing and move and Oh, man, I saw that picture on my phone and I cried. He's believing. He's standing. But, man, 14 years. That's a long time, right? I mean, that's, that's potentially incredibly frustrating. And another brother who's, who I've been talking to about tithing and saying, man, this isn't about some law where you're going to make God love you more. This is about an exchange for God's blessing in your life by trusting him. And he said, you know what? I'm ready. We're going to do it. Things are tight, but we just we can't afford not to do it. So he does it. Three months later, never been tighter right? You expected me to say like, and now he's just rolling in cash and God's, and he's driving a BMW and all these. It's like things are tight, tighter than they were before he made the decision to tithe. But he's got hope and he's got confidence because he's put seed in the ground and he knows that God's about to do something. He's just hanging on and believing for this provision. But how many you know there's a lot of opportunities to get out of your boat and go on the shore and just say, well, that didn't work. And you might even find someone who agrees with you. And that's the worst. Oh, man, thank God for friends. Who needs the devil when you got friends sometimes, right? And they say, oh, you're absolutely right. And I went to that church, and they talked about tithing, and I tithed for a while, and it didn't work, you know. Or I, 
And, and, you know, and people are just hurt. You can't blame them. They're just hurt, you know. And, but how many of you know if the word works? And so if, if you're not seeing it work in your life, that just means you're not working it long enough to see it. Not everything happens overnight like we'd like in our culture to happen. And so Peter was frustrated, and he answered to him, Master, we have toiled all night, but we have caught nothing. Many believers have left the boat over things like this, forgiveness. Just simply being able to believe that they're really forgiven. Have any of you struggled with forgiveness before because of things that have happened? Absolutely, right? Healing, like we talked about, breakthrough. Just how can you believe? I'm sure for Shane and Heather, there was moments where that mountain of debt just seemed impossible with a capital I. And and so many people are on the side of the shore cleaning their nets because these things seem just so impossible. Restoration. And those are all big, dramatic things. But how many of you know, even if things are going relatively good, just the fact that you might be able to do something that God shows you to do, just believing that God might give you an ability to launch out into the deep and do something, and you say, no, I'm not educated in that, or no, I'm not a pastor, no, I don't know my Bible very good. It still takes me a long time to find books like Haggai, and, you know, I just can't. And, and you say, I, can't, I could never do that. Or, or maybe the devil beats you up about resources. God's put a vision in my heart. I'm going to take care of single moms. I want to give them a place to work and stay. And you, but you say, I can barely make my mortgage payment, though. There's no way I could ever get another. I, mean, I couldn't do it. It couldn't happen, you know? And so we leave our, we leave our boats. We, we come into the shallow where it's predictable, where we can control. Even if it's miserable, sometimes predictable is better than unpredictable. Even, have you ever found that to be the case? Some people are miserable, but it's predictable. And so they're okay with it because they know it's going to happen and nothing's going to catch them off. They just know it's going to stink. I used to have a friend, and I told him, man, you are absolutely capital P pessimist. You are always t- telling me how things aren't going to go. He goes, I'm not a pessimist. I'm a realist. Everything always does. I'm just smarter than you, and I realize it. <laughs> and I agree with him. It always does. Why? Because you're a pessimist. Everything always bad happens to you. <laughs> because you've, And then you think you're smarter, you know. And, um, but there's a turning point, and this is, the, this is the turning point. How many of you know the word? What's the word? Nevertheless. No matter how frustrated, no matter how burned out, no matter how stupid other Christians may have looked in the past, no matter how let down when you let your guard down and you got hurt, Peter says, we've toiled all night. I'm just telling you right now, but nevertheless, I'll do it. That is the turning point. That's why this story is in the Bible. That's why we're talking about a story like this, because nevertheless invited the miracle. And big things happened when Peter was willing to get outside of his worldview for a second in trust that Jesus was about to do something. Simon answered him and said, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. So I'm fleshing out this message, right? I wake up like, I don't know, maybe Monday or Tuesday morning, beginning to kind of just pray and say, God, I know that there's a message for your people. I know you'll show it to me in your time. I would love to have it earlier than later. I would love to have some time to just be thinking about it. And, you know, I don't want to just throw it together Saturday night. And that's when he said plenty of fish in the sea. And I giggled, but I didn't giggle too much because I know he just says stuff like, I mean, you know that means something more than it means to you when you hear it. And so I just started following him on it. And then, you know, like I said, we all need encouragement. We all need affirmation sometimes to know we're on the right track. And on Twitter, I was following, you know, I follow Jensen Franklin. He's a great pastor out of Atlanta, Georgia. And on Twitter, his, his one-liner on a, like, I think Tuesday morning or Wednesday morning, don't throw in the towel, throw out the net, throw out your net and you'll get plenty. It's like, holy cow, there's plenty of fish in the sea, plenty of fish in the sea. And so I just kind of knew in God's little way, he just, he kind of told me, no, you're on to something, keep on going. So every day has just been like a discovery and just praying about this. And, and I believe today that we're just going to walk out of here encouraged that there's plenty of fish in the sea. Not that there's, 
of the, not, we're not just talking about your boyfriend or girlfriend. We're talking about the fact that God's abundance is exactly that. It's abundant. In our world that we live in, historically speaking, value is generally um, set by how scarce something is, right? Gold is, you know, fixed commodity. There's only so much gold in the world. Um, there's only so much oil in the world. And so we set a price based on the fact that these things are scarce, and if you have them, that's value right there because not everyone has them. And so that's fine, and that makes total sense. But what happens is how many times do we take world principles like that, and without intentionally making a decision to do so, we wrap those into our biblical worldview. And when someone tells us that God's promises are precious, and when God tells us that, man, his promises are yes and amen, and man, he wants to heal you, and he wants to bring breakthrough into your house, he wants to restore you, he wants to forgive you, he wants to fill your nets to overflowing, he wants to cause you to financially have the ability to do everything that he causes, tells you to do. And you say, okay, that's awesome, I believe that on paper. But then my head starts working, and I realize, but if, that's, if his promises are precious and valuable, that must mean they're scarce too. And so then what we begin to do is we begin to get all intellectual. Well, that works for him because he's a pastor. That works for him because he was in a desperate situation, but, you know, that couldn't work for me. Or I've tried that before, and it's just, you know, we make all those excuses, and that's just the enemy trying to convince us not to believe God, to get out of our boat, go cast. I'm telling you what, if you don't want to catch any fish, get on the shore with your nets cleaning. You, you absolutely run no risk of catching any fish, you know? So Simon Peter in this story discovers that there are plenty of fish in the sea, that when God gives an instruction on the heels of great teaching, you don't have to be afraid to follow him because God proves once and for all through Jesus, there is an abundance for every good work. It says it in 2 Corinthians, an abundance for every good work. So go with me now to verse 6 and 7. When they had done this, okay, so nevertheless, right? Nevertheless, I'll do it. They launch out of the deep, throw their nets down. When they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came, they filled both boats so that both began to sink. Amazing, right? Amazing. Great story, right? And, and, and truly, when I set out to share this message, we could have ended right here and gone home, had some lunch. Anybody's stomach's growling right now? Don't think about cheeseburgers. Do not think about hot dogs. I'm sorry. That was, that was low, I'm sorry. We'll be there soon enough, guys. Don't worry. Don't worry. We'll be there. <laughs> so they catch all this fish. And, and really, truly, that would be a great message. We could go out of here and say, hey, let down your nets, everyone. Launch out of the deep. Man, go where God just absolutely has to be God in your life. Throw down your nets. And man, just come back with a testimony next week of how he filled your nets to overflowing. And that would be an awesome message. But then God just it wouldn't leave me alone on this issue. And I keep reading. And then in verse 8... Simon Peter saw all this that had gone down, right? And he fell down at Jesus' knees and he says, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Now, if you were just reading that out of nowhere, you might think, oh, that Peter, he really sinned when he didn't believe God. He should have just trusted God the first time and now he's confessing his sin of not. I don't think the story's about that at all. I think when Jesus was face to face with the miracle, he was face to face with what Jesus was doing. He was at the totally at the end of his rope and that God did something just above. I mean, 10 fish would have been a miracle after no fish. But he fills their nets just to say, yeah, I'm God. And yeah, I know where the fish are in the sea. And he says, and that, and that joy of that miracle brings a revelation of who Jesus is. And the revelation of who Jesus is brings conviction. And Peter says, I mean, can you picture him? I mean, can you picture him just like sitting on the shore? 
wow, did that just happen? You know? I mean, I was just cleaning my nets. I wasn't bothering anybody. And all of a sudden, God has done something amazing in my life. And I think so many times we just don't see God move because we don't launch out into the deep. We play it safe. We say, okay, I'll launch out into the deep with our hand on the dock, you know? Years ago, and I've shared this story, and I don't mean to keep bringing it up all the time, and I certainly don't want my miracles to become, you know, I want miracles to be fresh. I don't want to always be talking about the miracle God did 10 years ago. But this one in particular has always just struck us, and we were in a place where we needed to see God move in our finances, and, and you've heard the story before. But, but I was sitting one day on my day off, sitting at the table, going through bills, you know, fun, right? And I got everything out, and I'm just, oh, I love this, you know, and paying bills and giving everybody my money I worked hard for. And all of a sudden, God shows me her paycheck is, hadn't deposited yet. It's just sitting there all printed out inside of the table. And, you know, at the time, it was, it was a lot of money for us. And, and uh, he said, I want you to sew that. And I want you to show it to a person that I knew about. I just met a guy who had, had, a, just had, a, had to pay for a, a C-section delivery with no health insurance, right? And so because of complications, it was like a 20000 I mean, just boom, $20,000 debt overnight and a baby to take care of. So I just thought, man, I'm, I, I know that's who I'm supposed to give it to. So mustered up the courage to do it. Kind of <laughs> little nausea maybe, nausea, maybe, in the old stomach, you know. Oh, my word, this money is already spoken for. This money has a destination already. And now I'm changing that. And if God has not come through, I'm in big trouble, and i got to tell her. And uh, <laughs> she, was in, she was in on it with me. But, but, um, and I, so that, I remember that day very clearly. I kind of I just made the decision, went around to watch some TV. Someone had given me a Hillsong live DVD, Hillsong United, and I was just putting that on, encouraging myself, you know, watching that. And I, I love behind the scenes. I love fe- I'm always watching the features before I watch the movie, you know. And, uh, and so Darlene Check, who at the time was the head of all of that, the music ministry of Hillsong, she says to the team, now listen, guys, you, you know, this is before the doors open to this huge arena and they're about to wor- night of worship. Listen, guys, I know you've rehearsed. I know you're amazing. You have a great opportunity to do one of two things. One, you can just do what you rehearsed, Everyone will have a great time. Or two, you can launch out into the deep and be willing to go in worship to a place where if God doesn't bail you out, you're going to sink. And I'm telling you, I just began to weep watching that because that was exactly where I was. God, if I do this and if you don't show up, I'm seriously putting our whole family in trouble, you know? And, and he just encouraged me. I'm with you always, you know? And so when I read this story about this, I know what that feeling's like when you say, man, I've been trying to do this. I've been trying to get ahead in my finances and it's just we're still paycheck to paycheck and frustrated. Never I thought I'd be at this level 10 years ago. I thought, I, you know, and he says, just launch out into the deep. Just tithe, just give, just do whatever I show you to do. Let the abundance catch up with you. Talk more about that in a minute. So Peter has this revelation. I'm a sinful man. And he, felt, he falls down at Jesus' knees and says, depart from me. Like, seriously, there, I now understand who you are and in comparison, I pale, right? But God loves him. Jesus loves him. And he continues to have a story for him. So like I said, this is where the message could have ended. But then this revelation that he has, you know, the chapter heading in Luke 5 in my Bible, it says four fishermen called his disciples. You know what it doesn't say? It doesn't say five secrets to discovering your inner fishermen. It doesn't say, you know, 10, ten net splitting keys to abundance. You know, it says four disciples called his fishermen. Could it be that the biggest miracle in that story is that four men were willing to drop their profession, to drop their identity, and literally follow Jesus? I mean, I, 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 that's a miracle. Perhaps bigger than the fish in the net. That's a miracle. And so I, I want you to, John, get that clip uh, 
queued up for me if you can. There is a phase. Um, well, let me, let me just finish here. Verse 9 through 11. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so were also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. Do not be, and I'm telling you that this morning. I'm speaking to myself. Do not be afraid. When he says launch out into the deep, do not be afraid. Peace, he, sa- he says, peace be with you. And, and so they brought their land, um, they brought their boats. Simon, he said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. Gives them a new identity. So they had brought their boats to the land. They forsook all and they followed him. And so with this revelation of who Jesus was, Peter experienced conviction, didn't he? And, and with the conviction came a purpose. And um, I, I'm going to play you a funny little sound clip. It's real short. I was rolling the lawn, listening to some podcast. This guy's Don Miller. He's an author. Maybe you've heard of him. He was giving a talk uh, at, a, at a leadership meeting from a couple years ago. I just got around to listening to it. And um, it, in, in child development, we're getting ready to have a baby, and so we think about these things a lot on my mind. Get it a couple of weeks, pray for Allie. But we, um, in, in child development, you all know there's a stage where, I mean, to a baby, it's all about baby, right? Everybody knows it's about baby. Baby knows it's about baby. Your neighbors know it's all about baby. Baby needs to eat. Baby needs a clean diaper. There's no, it, nobody else matters when there's a new baby in the house. Sleep doesn't matter when there's a new baby in the house. And so that's a total, I mean, that's normal. That's how God set it up. In the life of a believer, when you first get saved, there's also kind of a phase like that where you're trying to try on all these things. You know, you're learning these new principles. You're making radical transformation. And you're, I mean, God's doing it. You're doing it through decision-making. It is all about you. It's a very introspective. Do you remember when you got saved? It was a very introspective time, right? You're kind of re-looking at every part of your life and wondering how it fits with the kingdom of God. And so that's natural. But as you begin to serve God, what really makes serving God fun is when you get beyond that stage. And when you get to the stage that starts to look out at the needs of people, and you begin to be motivated by people's needs and motivated by, you know, the direction, just like those disciples had a front row seat of the greatest teacher that ever lived, but even they were not immune from an instruction that came on the heels of that teaching and an opportunity to basically put that teaching into work. The word becomes power when you work it. There's no power on pages of the Bible. There's power when you say, nevertheless, I will launch out into the deep and do what you call me to do. So in the believer's life, we, one of the things that we have to break through in is that we have to realize that it's not all about us. I was laughing so hard when I heard this sound clip because I think a bunch of us can identify with what the speaker's talking about. Go ahead and roll that. It's just audio. My life is a movie, and the movie is about me. I can prove it. If I leave the room... I go with me. <laughs> I have two cameras and some microphones, and, and I have been in every scene from the very beginning. <laughs> you have always thought life was a movie about you. It isn't. <laughs> you are character actors in a movie about me. Isn't that truth? (laughs) Life's no fun when it's all about you. We call that a poverty mentality. When your whole focus, poverty is not about not having money. Poverty is when your whole focus is about how am I going to get what's mine? How am I going to get what it takes to survive? Hey, and listen, if you're in a desperate situation and we all go through them where your focus is on how am I going to fill it, hey, that's normal. But, but the poverty mentality never gets beyond that. And it's always wondering, God, what are you going to do? And it's like that person who is a fisherman by trade, but they only come when they're hungry. 
you know, and they just say, okay, well, I'm really, the stomach's crumbling, I better throw something in. Yeah, thank you, Jesus, woo, pray, bless food, eat, and I'll go do my own thing for a couple of days, you know? That's no fun. And I'll, and I'll tell you why in a minute. Well, turn with me to John 8, 31. There's a commission for your life. There's a purpose that God has for you that if you follow the teaching, if you follow the instruction, he will break you through that small container of it's all about me. And this is how he does it. John 8, 31. This is what it, what it is to be a disciple. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And they answered him. They said, we're Abraham's descendants, right? I don't know if they said it smugly or if they just said we don't understand this teaching because we've always been taught that because of the lineage that we live in, then we can just expect to be blessed because of our... I, maybe that was how they said it. But nonetheless, they said, we're Abraham's descendants and we've never been in bondage to anyone. So how can you say you'll be made free? And I think what Jesus is saying is that being a disciple is not about who you belong to, but it's about what you're willing to do. Nobody just inherits the right to be a disciple. You, you're a disciple by abiding in the word of God. You're a disciple by taking the teaching, taking the instruction, launching out in the deep, throwing down your nets whenever he tells you to, and expecting harvest, expecting abundance. That's what it is to be a disciple. Turn to Matthew 28. This is the Great Commission. Probably all of us have read this before at some point. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20 is the Great Commission. Jesus came to them and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. He didn't say, Just hang out with me, and I'm going to blow your mind with some sermons that are just going to rock your world. Just let's just do this. Let's just do life together. And I'll tell you what, every single day, if you'd be a part of my membership VIP club, you'll get a free teaching every day. You'll get a Jesus journal. I mean, I'm telling you, it'll be awesome. But what does he say? Go out. Take this stuff I've given you. Go out. Make a difference. Turn the world upside down, like they said it in the book of Acts. Go therefore, make disciples in the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The word commission, I love to break words up. Sometimes they mean something when you break them up. Commission, co plus mission. That means being on a mission with another person. When he sends us out into the world, when he sent those disciples and said, I'm gonna send you out, he wouldn't just send them out and hopefully you remembered everything I told you. He was sending them out with his presence. He was sending them out with his authority. He was sending them out with his ability. And we'll learn a little bit more about that in just a second. God has the same commission for you. Man, you may think you're a fisherman. You may think you're a plumber. And God may have you do that every single day. But you know what you are? You're a fisher of men. You're called to make disciples. And your life's not going to make sense until you figure that out. Your life's not really going to be fun until you begin to spread what God has done on the inside of you. That's what's happened. That's what invites the miracle provision when you launch down the nets. Not when you sit in the boat, not when you sit on the shore and wait for your ship to come in. Things get amazing when you launch your, your nets and you go out into the deep. So the co-mission, I think about the word provision. I've shared that before. Pro plus vision. Pro means for, vision is the vision. So the provision that we're always, how many of you always, we're believing for provision. God, I got to pay my light bill. God, I need food on the table. God, I got to fix my car. That's provision, right? Well, you know what provision is? It's for the vision. So if you want to see abundance in your life, you just got to take your eyes off of the provision and you got to get your eyes on the vision. God, what have you called me to do? What is it that I am uniquely created to do? And forget about whether I think I measure up. God, you picked me. You put me on this earth. What is it that I'm supposed to be doing for you? And when you get just absolutely obsessed with that vision, then the provision catches up. In Deuteronomy 28, it says that, that, that the blessing will overtake you 
Well, you have to be moving to be overtaken. You don't get overtaken when you're standing still. I've said that many times before. So the provision is for the vision. In the commission, you are not alone. And the commission is where that's the nevertheless, that's the launching out and letting down your nets. Turn to John 20. Today is a very special day. I don't know if you know this, but today is Pentecost. Today marks 50 days after Easter. It marks the day where the Holy Spirit was poured out. We're going to share just very briefly about that in a couple of minutes. But today, man, if you thought Easter was awesome, I mean, the Pentecost is where the Holy Spirit came. The Holy Spirit is what takes head knowledge and turns it into power. You know what I mean? We, you can have great teaching all day long, but if you're not working it, you're not going to see the power demonstrated in it. And in John 20, you know, we're, we, we're ending this message in a very similar way that we started the message. We started the message in Luke 5 with some frustrated fishermen. Well, guess where we start in John 20? We start with some frustrated disciples. Jesus had died. And how many of you know to be a disciple, even though he told you that he had already given the Great Commission, even though he had told them they were going to do great things in my name, even greater works than I do you're going to do. They knew that with their head. But at the end of the day, the guy that they had left their boats for, the guy that they had stopped collecting taxes to go follow, that guy was dead. That guy died in a way that would look to the world like an utter failure. I'm the king of the Jews. I'm the king of kings. Yeah, well, they all didn't like you, and they killed you. And, it was, and you can imagine the heartache. You can imagine the betrayal, and you can imagine the fear because John 20 says that the disciples, the 12 of them, were all together, and I think maybe it was just the 11 of them without Thomas, and they were all together in seclusion because they feared the Jewish leaders. How many of you know they were probably next on the hit list of the Jewish leaders to be punished for their association with Jesus? And so Jesus reveals himself. This is the first time he reveals himself after he's died. So he comes back. He reveals himself. He had already done it for Mary Magdalene. He'd kind of given people a heads up that he was around. And he he meets the disciples. The second time he shows up because he loves Thomas and he wants to show Thomas that he's real. Thomas needs some empirical data to believe that Jesus is really really alive. And so then... um, So he reveals himself in that place. And this is such an important scripture, starting with uh, verse 19 of John 20. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, the disciples were assembled. For fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, peace be with you. They needed some encouragement, didn't they? They needed the hope awakened within them, didn't they? Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And his disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, peace to you. And as the Father has sent me, I also send you. There you go again. There's that commission. I'm sending you. God has sent me to remind you that you are to be sent. You're not just to hang out and bless each other with your biblical knowledge. You are to be sent and change the world. And when he said this, check this out. He breathed on them and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. I say that today. Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the power, just like on Pentecost, that causes the word of God to come alive and it has attached with it abundance and direction and provision and favor, but you'll never see it until you launch out into the deep and you use it. You'll never see it until you confront that angry boss, until you're willing to knock on the door of that neighbor who you just exchange pleasantries at the mailbox. You'll never see it until you're willing to confront that family member and say, I am sorry for what has happened. I want to start over with you. I want you to know Jesus. I want you to meet the guy who changed my life, who restored things. That's when being a Christian gets really exciting. It's really scary sometimes, but it's always really exciting. And so he said, 
received the Holy Spirit, and he was preparing them. They got their own little mini Pentecost before it all went down. That's how much Jesus loved his people. And then go to John 21. And this is just, I, I know what's in here. I've never really focused on this story before. And I thought, wow, how cool. The very first time that Jesus reaches the disciples, when he appears back to them, he does it with the same miracle. Can you believe that? Go in your Bibles to John 21. 1 through 7. These things Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of, of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, two others of his disciples were going together. So all these people he reveals himself to. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going to go fishing. Now I'm just speculating. But how many of you know if you were being just, it, I mean, be like you were just being pumped and primed and promoted to do something. Maybe it's a business. Maybe you gave everything to join the team of a business. It happens all the time. And you get there and you sever all your ties and you burn your bridges and you get in the front door and you find out that the shareholders just got together the day before and they're going to downsize. And this thing's going to be shutting its doors in a month. And you just, I mean, can you imagine the kind of frustration? Very possibly what Peter was feeling. Peter says, well, can you imagine him? I know how to fish. I guess, I mean, I thought I was going to be called you know, the rock. I thought I was going to, you know, I thought I was going to do these things, but apparently it's not going to happen that way. So I'm just going to go fish. And all the disciples say, we're going with you, right? I'm not saying that's how they said it, but I'm thinking if I were in that position, just kind of like sour grapes, I'm going to go fish and try to try to salvage with the rest of this vision, right? So, and, and God has such a sense of humor. They said to him, we're going with you also, of course. And so Jesus shows up. He's standing on the shore. They're out there trying to fish. Same story, man. Uh, Hey, children, have you found any food? Nope. (laughs) I'm sure they said nope too, right? Nope. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And so they cast and now they were not able to even draw it in because of the multitude of fish. I think Jesus is just coming back and saying, hey, the miracle brings revelation. Revelation brings conviction. You need a miracle because you need a reminder of the revelation that you once had about who I am and who you are. And now I'm going to convict you once again to, to pull your bootstraps up, to launch out into the deep, to follow me, to go do what I said you were going to do in even a greater capacity than I did it because now you've got the Holy Spirit. Before you didn't have the Holy Spirit, now you have the Holy Spirit and you are going to turn the world upside down. You, a fisherman, you, a tax collector, you, a nobody, I'm going to use you because you believe I am who I say I am. And that's the only qualification. You believe me and you're willing to obey me. And that's why those parables like the wedding feast where the guy who sits in the front row is pretty embarrassed to be removed and it's the guy who doesn't think anything of himself and he gets invited to come sit in the front. The last in the kingdom of God become first and the first become last. So what does Peter say? He's cast the net. They pull this in and therefore the disciple who Jesus loved. I mean, is that not the funniest thing? It's John, right? And it's the book of John. So that means the guy who wrote the book refers to himself in third person as the disciple that Jesus loved, right? Like I'm the son that mom loves best, right? <laughs> Similar type of thing. John says to Peter, it's the Lord. I mean, they, <laughs> they know this has to be Jesus, right? Simon Peter heard that. He put on his outer garment and he plunged into the sea. Can you see him just kind of jumping out of the boat like in the cartoons and trying to walk and just, and he just swims to get to Jesus, How many of us are willing to leave our boats, not because of frustration, but because we've gotten the revelation of who Jesus is and he's calling us out. He's calling us to launch into the deep and we're willing to obey him. Even if we know that we're putting ourselves willingly in a place where if he doesn't come through, 
we might absolutely lose everything. And then that brings us to Pentecost. And in Acts 2, just the last place we're going to be here before we let you go, Acts 2, verses 1 through 4, now 120 disciples are in the upper room and they're waiting. And they've been waiting for 10 days since the last time that Jesus revealed himself in those 40 days that he would reveal his resurrected self. And, he's, and Jesus told them, wait, wait for the Holy Spirit. It's coming, man. It's going to be the missing link. You, right now you're let down, but I'm telling you what, when the Holy Spirit blows through this place, you're going to be energized. You're going to be endued with power on high. And, you're, and there's going to be nothing lacking to go do everything that I told you you were going to go do. And so they were waiting in that room. And that day of Pentecost had fully come, verse 1. They were all in one accord in that place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven of a rushing mighty wind and filled the whole house. Can you imagine it's just we were sitting here and all of a sudden, and you're just like, whoa, this is not a normal worship service, right? The wind just blew through the place, rushing mighty wind, a sound from heaven. I can only imagine what that sounded like. Filled the whole house while they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues of fire, and there would be like just hanging over the heads of the people. The fire of the Holy Spirit just rep- you know, representing. And, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I mean, undeniably, the Holy Spirit did something. He didn't just give them goosebumps and make I mean, he rocked their world so much so that the people outside said, these people are drunk. It is morning time, but these people have been drinking. Tisk tisk, shame, shame. I know your name, you know, all that stuff. And, 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 and they, because they were so visibly different and changed and they just couldn't understand, how could just a little gathering of 120, I mean, there's probably more of us in here. How, how, could, the, how could something like this happen? But they knew without a shadow of doubt, Jesus had given them what he said. And in John 20, 31, they, they end that account of all those miracles. They end the account by saying, these miracles are written that. And they says that, listen, Jesus did so much more. Like we can't even fit the miracles he did in this book. But it goes on to say in John 20, 31, these miracles are written so that believing you may have life in his name. Not so that you just have a cool story to tell around the campfire. Not just so you can just, I just love miracles because it's so amazing. I can't believe that God did that. And that was impossible, but then God did it. But because you would believe. Because that you would see in the midst of that miracle something that only God could do. That God, that Jesus would reveal his love to you. That he would reveal his ability in you. And that you would be so convicted when you look in that mirror and you see who he is compared to who you've seen yourself as. And you're willing to take that conviction to launch out into the deep, throw down your nets, and be everything God's called you to be. You don't have all the plan. You don't know how it's all going to work. You just know how to take one step forward. And then another step. And then another step. And then the blessing overtakes you. And you're just like, whoa, this is awesome. Take another step. And then more blessing. You're like, holy cow, this is amazing. And I never thought I could do this. This is what's fun about being a Christian. It's no fun just studying an ancient text and telling people about it. Nobody cares. People want to see power. People want to see joy. People want to see conviction and passion. That's what we can bring to the table because we have the Pentecost Holy Spirit of God alive on the inside of us. Amen? Thank you, Lord. So Jesus and all of us now learned that indeed there is plenty of fish in the sea. And as I wrap up, there was a vision or a picture. I don't know what it was. But I was just, I was going about my business one day, and all of a sudden I saw that kid from the DreamWorks picture. It's little uh, Opie from Andy Griffith. You ever watch a DreamWorks movie? If you have kids, you've seen Toy Story. All. DreamWorks, little logo, and the kid's sitting on the moon, and the moon pulling. It's really sweet, right? And it's just, it's a little Ron Howard throwback to his early days where he got his start. But I saw something like that kid, and he was fishing, and he was just, you know, just doing his thing. And, and then all of a sudden, without warning, he takes the, 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 the fishing pole, throws it down, jumps into the water, disappears. 
what does that mean, right? And I realized in our lives, the happy Christians that I know, they've graduated beyond the point of just coming anytime you need something. Now, God wants you to come. Never feel bad about coming to God when you need something. He wants to be your source. He is honored when you come to him for help. So I'm not saying that we should feel, ever feel bad about coming for help. But what I'm saying is, is that life is no fun if all it's going to be is just, oh, I'm doing my thing, I'm doing my thing. Oh, ran out of money. God, need some money, need some money. Okay, thanks, God. Woo, yay, God. And then I go and do my thing. All of a sudden, I'm sick. Oh, God, you got to heal me. I'm coming back to church. Oh, God, you got to heal me. And then, oh, God, I need a job so bad. And then you get the job. And, oh, God, I want a fishing boat. And then you get a fishing boat and you're gone. And it's just no fun. Maybe you've done that. I've done that. It's just not fun. It's not fruitful. Nobody's impressed by it. No one's life has changed by it. But, man, when you're willing to let the Holy Spirit of God flow on the inside of you and take you to places you never thought you could go. And so I saw this kid and I realized, man, Christianity, I'm convinced, is no fun unless you're all in. It's just no fun. I mean, it might feel like the right thing to do. It might keep people happy in your life, but it's not fun, and you know it's not fun. But when you're all in, it's fun. It's exciting. It brings confidence. It brings joy. It brings excitement and anticipation. You get to be a front row on the miracle, and it's exciting. It's amazing. But I'm just going to tell you today, when you walk out of this place, when God gives you the instruction on the heels of his teaching, whatever you've learned, and he begins to show you how to apply it, launch out into the deep. Let down your nets. Don't be afraid. There are plenty of fish in the sea. God is able to finance the things that he puts in your life to do. He's going to do it in a way that you need him. He's not going to let you not need him. He's going to make sure it happens in a way where you know it was him and everyone knows it was him. But I'm telling you what, today, your future may have been in shambles. It may have been a joke. I'm telling you what, today, your future can become history. Your future can become his story. We hope you've been encouraged, strengthened, and challenged in your walk with Jesus. If you need prayer for situations in your life, we encourage you to email us at prayer at victorylafayette.org or call our offices at 765-447-7777. If you desire to make Jesus the Lord of your life, or if you've drifted away from the relationship you once had, I encourage you to pray this prayer with me today. Heavenly Father, I believe that you love me. I believe Jesus died for me and rose from the dead. Today, I confess Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I receive the forgiveness for all my sins. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you come into my life and empower me to live a victorious life. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen.